I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Suryadas's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Suryadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. So we've been practicing Rigpa practice of Dzogchen Tregju, seeing through, being through natural meditation, practicing loving kindness, compassion, joy, rejoicing, and equanimity or impartiality, including all practice, the loving kindness, compassion practice, Chenrezig's practice, as we call in Tibetan, the Buddha of love and compassion and all those other heart virtues, the four faces of Buddha's love or the four arms of Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva loving-kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity or impartiality equal to all. But I want to stay focused on the main Dzogchen practice we're studying, exploring, and practicing and developing together today, my main subject this week, the view, meditation, and action of the great perfection, seeing through or being through, literally cutting through cutting through dualism, cutting through obstacles, cutting through ignorance or separation, cutting through selfiness, and so on. Seeing through or being through, as we practice here in the form of sky gazing, openness and awareness inseparable. During the session, we had our usual instruction. We began with a little chanting, guru yoga, and warm-up exercises, and then the main practice, awareness itself, Sustaining present wakefulness, not visualizing, not chanting, not analyzing, not deconstructing the hut that ego built to analytical practices that we could do at other times, of course. That's an important part of the path. But here, sky gazing, space mingling, seeing through momentary forms and appearances to the 
awareness itself, not just looking at the silver screen and all that's on it, but back at the projector, and then thus the whole process. Who or what is aware? Who's doing what around here? And so on. It's not what happens to us, but what we make of it that makes all the difference. So looking into the subjective part, the projector and the projections, tracing back the awareness, the source of all this radiance and phantasmagoria on the silver screen of emptiness, all the forms, the empty, hollow, translucent forms, unreal dreamlike forms, and resting aware in awareness itself, awareness, aware of awareness, not just I am looking at you or it or something or looking for something or waiting to get there because we're not there yet and forgetting that we're here like we're in our car driving to wherever we think we're going. We don't even feel our bodies or know where we are. I remember somebody amusingly said at the closing sharing circle at the end of our 10-day retreat in Lake Canandaigua, New York, and the Finger Lakes one summer. Um, my father gave me driving lessons, and it reminded me of what you've been teaching about incandescent presence and being on the spot and all that. She said... The first thing he told me was the most important. He said, when driving, make sure that you're in the car. <laughs> she said, that was kind of my first mindfulness instruction, although I hadn't heard that foreign word mindfulness yet. <laughs> when you're driving, it's very important to make sure you're in the car. <laughs> so that reminds me of another story. You know, I'm much older than, I mean, than... than than her. So uh, it comes to mind, my, my stories are always with the older people, like Chang Su, I'm sure you remember him, Lao Tzu's buddy from ancient China, the greatest Taoist philosopher, Chang Tzu. Even Thomas Merton studied him and wrote a book about it called something about Chang Tzu and the birds of appetite or something, you know, the Dalai Lama of his time, the ecumenical famous monk, author, thinker, Pioneer Thomas Merton, the Cistercian monk Thomas Merton, wrote a book about Changzu, another one about Zen, and so on. So Changzu was the great Taoist philosopher of ancient times. And when his wife died, his wife of many years, he was an ancient Chinese sage. He lived in that way, lifestyle, householder lifestyle in the world, but not totally of it. And he had many followers, students, disciples, etc. The emperor invited him to teach many times, so on. When his wife died, he sat for three years outside of his house, his hut, his whatever, in the sun, banging on a pot. That was traditional, mourning your mate in those days. I know you might think this is strange, but just project your mind backwards, you know, to a time when women, uh, widows would jump into the, cremation fire of their husband in India. Oh, they still do that. Crap. Anyway, in those days, they used to sit outside and mourn for three years. That was proper. So one day, Changzu was sitting out there in the sun in front of his hair, and his, his hair was down. He let his hair down for this, you know, because he wasn't in his role as, like, um, imperial master and wise man and all. And his long hair was flowing down over his robe, and he was sitting there very relaxed in the sun. And some of his quite learned and accomplished uh, senior students, let's call them disciples, came along. And they said, Master, what can we do for you? For you? What can we do for you? 
how can we help you? Your wife is gone. What do you need? How can we help you? You're just sitting there banging a pot. What can we do for you? What can we offer you? What can we give you? And the master said, and this is the good part, so listen up. The sun is drying my hair. It must have been morning, so let's say he had a bath. The sun is drying my hair, and I am sitting at the origin of all things. What else do I need? So that's our practice, friends. Not trying to do nothing. It's just one more idealized or ego strategy to get something that we're not having. Resting at the origin of all things. Chantzu. So that's the great doing of non-doing that our friend was talking about the other day, quoting Lao Tzu from the Tao Te Ching, much recommended. Read the Stephen Mitchell translation if you like to read these things. The Lao Tzu, the way in its power, the Tao Te Ching. So resting at the origin of all things. That's just a concept, but you get the idea. The sun is drying my hair. Everything is happening as it is and as it needs to. And I'm resting at the origin of all things. What, what could you give me? What's missing? Or what's extra to be taken away? Nothing. So this is the direct access, awakening now tradition of the great perfections of Chen, of the ultimate stance, the big picture, Mahamudra. Resting at the origin of all things, nothing to purify or get rid of, nothing extra, and nothing missing. That's the view. Not views about, does it, do we exist or not, is or is not, or both or neither, not ideas. What should we call it? Fulfillment, contentment, even that could sound something too much. We start fa uh, faking it, fa fabricating it. Oh, it doesn't matter when we very much have a preference. Oh, it doesn't matter. Or as a spiritual practitioner, I should be detached, unattached. Doesn't matter. Don't do anything. Bad things are happening in the world, but we just meditate. I call that twiddling while Rome burns. What should we call it? Twiddling while the globe burns. And it's something to be aware of these days, not to be a dropout. Nobody can do it all, but nobody's exempt from participating. We're all implicated, not just connected, implicated and responsible. So resting at the origin of all things is treasured or being through. Being through and through, being through it all, just being. That's why even the usual translation, if you have the fortune of being able to read Dzogchen texts and books in translation, all words are a weak translation for these profound concepts. So translating treasured as cutting through is still a little dualistic. We have to cut through something and then things will be better or different or... You know, that's fine in the gradual approach, but here it's more like seeing through or being through, which we're reenacting and practicing, getting used to. The view of the great perfection as it is. View like the sky. The meditation of unmeditation, non-meditation. Getting used to that as it is. Leaving it as it is. Seeing it as is or seeing as is. That it is really extra. Seeing as is experiencing where, what word can we use? Presencing as is, and getting used to that is the meditation of non-meditation. And from that naturally comes spontaneous, proactive, responsive 
selfless Buddha activity as needed and wanted, if needed and wanted, not compulsive, reactive, egocentric, karmic, habitual activity, but proactive, responsive, selfless Buddha activity, not reactive, conditioned, egocentric, compulsive reactivity. Of course, Buddhism, Buddhism 101, Cliff's notes or Jeff's notes in this case, it's the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths. The Four Noble Truths is the backbone. The fourth truth is the Eightfold Path of Enlightenment. You can read all about this in books and study. We're not going to belabor that. Awakening the Buddha Within, Eight Steps to Enlightenment is all about that. Outer behavior, inner attitude, and secret being or wisdom level, suchness level. Buddhism, if the day has to die, Lama, what's the essence of Buddhism? Either he says the four noble truths or he says wisdom and compassion. It means developing wisdom and compassion ourselves, not believing in it. Of course, in English, he often says, and we can see this in the media, my religion is loving kindness. That's beautiful. That's a nice summation, too, in one and a half words. Beyond isms and schisms and religions and clubs and, and uh, differences that we make up and then fight over. So Buddhism is always explained from the ground up, as I said, the Eightfold Path, which is those three trainings, ethics, building on that, meditation and mindfulness, building on that, selfless love, three higher trainings, Eightfold Path. But Dzogchen and Mahmudra swooping down from above with the view, like resting at the origin of all things is the path, but it's also the goal, it's the way. It's the ground, it's the path and the fruit. It's not just planting a seed now and watering it and cultivating it and fertilizing it and protecting it for many lifetimes or many years. That's a gradual practice, practice path that we all do. Ethics and precepts and vows and bodhisattva vows, altruism, generosity, effort, sincerity, aspiration, skillful means, mindfulness, wisdom, and so on. The 10 paramitas, the 10 transformative virtues of the bodhisattva. But Dzogchen's always explained, swooping down from above, the view, like the sky, the meditation of non-meditation, as I said, and the action, like the ocean's waves. So view, like the sky, open, replicating that with our sky gazing, not that we're sky worshippers, but just being open, not closing our eyes and trying to go inward, as if we're looking for something and not looking outward, and not staring holes in the sky and giving ourselves headaches. You're allowed to blink, not staring, just gazing. And not looking up, looking for your, your forehead chakra, your crown chakra. We're looking up and cutting off the feelings by pinching your spine. This is a pothole of the inexperienced meditator. Hear my instructions, please. Elevate your gaze slightly. Raise your gaze. Elevate the scope of global 360-degree awareness. Sensitive, receptive. Took Virgin Rinpoche's oldest son, Chikinima, who speaks English and who teaches here once in a year, Chikinima Rinpoche. And people always ask him how you practice Mahamudra. This used to be his main answer and his first answer, although he's a Kempo and a philosopher and very learned and accomplished. I know you can't see, so I'm going to exaggerate. His hands would be on his, on his knees. How do you practice Mahamudra, Rinpoche? His eyes were like saucers, his mouth was like a plate, and his hands were like electrocuted, you know, like a bird on a wire. Ah! <laughs> it was brief, but it was good. Ah! <laughs> that moment. 
So open the view, seeing it as it is, presencing, aware as it is. Rikpa, we call it in Tibetan, hard to translate, authentic presence or presence, sometimes called awareness with an A, Rikpa. Buddha mind, Rikpa. Mind with a capital M and Zen, Rikpa. Dharmakaya awareness, Rikpa. Vidya in Sanskrit, all-knowing, Vidya. And then the meditation of non-meditation, of getting used to leaving it as it is, getting used to it, maturing that, not trying to do other things or build up special states of mind or concentrate longer, or thoughts swatting. (laughs) Swat those pesky mosquito-like thoughts away. Oh, crap. I hit myself. Awareness of thinking, mindfulness of thinking is meditation. Not just thinking. Again, I'm saying again, as before, it's a very important point. So we're not trying to suppress thoughts. Changing our thoughts and moods is just like redecorating our cell in the Titanic. Or fighting for a better birth on the Titanic. It's so temporary. But finding the timeless awareness, pure presence. What word do we have for it? Our true nature, our Buddha nature. I mean, words fail. The inner light, it's called in mystic Christianity. George Fox called it the inner light. Awesome. I didn't hear much of that when I was growing up in Long Island from church. I wish I did. In Tibetan Buddhism, we call it the clear light or the innate luminosity. So seeing it as it is and then leaving it as it is and then flow as it needs to biz, as it needs to be or biz, is not fabricating anything, not compulsively continuing out of habituated reactive patterns. So the view, the meditation, and the action. How we practice this meditation is based on the great teaching commentary of the first Jamgun Control Rinpoche called the Four Chokshak, the Chokshakchi, the Four Great, leaving it as it is, is Chokshak, Supreme Resting, Chokshak, leaving it as it is, is. View like the sky, leave it as it is. Meditation like a mountain, unchanged, regardless of what falls on a grow at, on it, leave it as it is. An action inexhaustible like the ocean's waves according to conditions and needs, leave it as it is. Some call the third, the third one uh, mirror-like, Meilung Chokshak, like reflections in a mirror. If this stuff comes up, then stuff is reflected. If nothing comes up, the mirror is not bored. The mirror doesn't start changing and like, you know, restless. Mirror-like awareness is not restless, but it can reflect whatever karmic circumstances arise. Or like the ocean, if there's wind, there's waves. No wind, no waves. I mean, if there's earthquakes, waves. If otherwise, it never, you know, more or less just flowing and still and the moon tides, whatever, never leaves its bed. So this is the four great leaving it as it is, is worth thinking about. Not something you find in regular books or sutra teachings. Like the sky, view like the sky, open, without outside or inside, without center or periphery or corners. Like a French 
thinker, Pascal Descartes, where someone said, God is like the circle whose circumference is every, whose center is everywhere and circumference nowhere. That's what we're talking about, the big Tigli, the big Bindu, the big sphe- ultimate sphere, all-inclusive, holographic center. Everywhere is the center. Everywhere includes the whole, every piece. You with me? The mandala principle. So meditation speaking, we're resting in this big sky-like awareness, not trying to narrow it down and just concentrate on a candle flame like in concentrative tranquility meditation, shamatha, shine, samadhi, concentration, tranquility meditations, one-pointed focus meditations, not that you're good for training, but here we're doing openness and awareness practice, which is very integrative with daily life, where we can't just walk around concentrating on a flame or on our mantra or our breath. We might have to pay attention to this to other people too. What? There were other people? Who knew? It took me decades till yesterday. So view like the sky, meditation like a mountain, unshakable, unperturbable, whatever grows on it falls on it. Let me, stable, let me go further into this. You'll rarely hear a Buddhist say this, solid. I have the guts to say it because Thich Nhat Hanh said it in one of his books. I said, wow, somebody said it. Yes, solid, everything's impermanent, but solid. Like a mountain, sitting like a mountain. Meditation, unmeditation, like a mountain, not busy body, not doing. And then natural action and conduct, like the ocean's waves flow, the actions of the bodhisattvas, the ten paramitas, the transformative virtues, and so on. So first, in this practice, we need to consider the view, the outlook, not just the posture or the meditation or eyes open or closed, or what it's called which we've been talking about, view is most important, the outlook. Whether we're looking for something or trying to develop something for later, or it's awakening now, direct access, relying on our Buddhaness, our Buddha nature, and seeing through the temporary obscurations that veil it. Aware of awareness. Direct awareness, introduction or recognition, not analytical, gradual approach to thinking things through and studying about them and inquiry and all the other parts of the recipe for enlightenment, like the Buddhist seven factors of enlightenment. His recipe for enlightenment, which is another interesting scheme, and it has things in it like investigation, questioning, which we don't usually hear about from most pulpit preachers who encourage us to have more faith. But Buddha encourages us to investigate, question, even doubt, and find out for ourselves. Not believe him, that's just a rumor. It won't help that much until we find out for ourselves and realize it and gain great conviction ourselves, have the insights and realizations ourselves, open our hearts and minds, bodies and souls ourselves, and transform entirely all of our relations and our way of being in the world, our view, our meditation, and our conduct. So first, we, the glimpse or the, the perception that we can just be as it is, seeing it as it is, being as it is, the first is the glimpse. This is possible, the view. This is the ground of the path, the ground, the view, the glimpse, the recognition, the introduction to true nature, however you want to put it, if you read books, all kinds of different translations. Recognizing this possibility, ah, a moment, 
even a moment would transform our life. It's never the same again when you realize you don't have to keep all the balls up in the air. Maybe wherever they land, they fall into place wherever they land by themselves. You don't have to keep juggling. Anybody have that feeling these days especially? And from that glimpse or that recognition, that indirect introduction, comes the maturation process. That's the second point. These are the three, in Dzogchen, called the three vital points. Oral, pith instructions passed down through the lineage, only written down 100 years ago by the great enlightened vagabond, Pachal Rinpoche of Eastern Tibet. You can read stories about him in my collection of Tibetan teaching tales. Snow Lions, Turquoise Mane, Pachal Rinpoche, our great grand-grand Dzogchen master, grandfather of Dzogchen masters, he had him. He put these together, these three points. First, glimpse or recognition or indirect introduction, your own highest intuitive experience. And then from that comes your meditation of non-meditation, just getting used to that and being able to have something to rest in, having something to rest in, not just trying not to think or trying to do the right thing and wondering if our meditation is, you know, we're doing the right thing. We actually have to know there's a there there, something to rest in, and that there is here, something to rest in, find rest, resting point, origin of all things. Words fail. The natural state. Words fail. So maturation is the second point. Getting used to it. Leaving it as it is and being as is and resting as is. And check it out. See if there's anything better. If there's some deity behind the scenes pulling the strings or some other better way. Because if there is, we should take it. And eventually, if you look long enough, you might come to your own conclusions about whether it's sufficient or not to just rest in the view, nothing more to do, and everything proceed from there into natural activity. Natural love, natural morality, natural unselfish generosity, because there's no self in other dichotomy, there's no selfishness, there's no narcissism, and a fear, and um, greed, and a separateness. So naturally we treat others as we ourselves would be treated in the best sense, I mention that because we treat ourselves like shit so much of the time. But naturally, we don't see the difference between self and others. This is called unconditioned compassion. Without object, not looking down on others, not thinking we're better than, not needing to feel better by being helpful. Just like one hand doesn't feel proud, stingy, or anything like that when it just rubs, washes, scratches, helps the relates to the other pseudopod i mean hand so this is an important schema if you read zogchen books which are many which are voluminous which are you know some of them are fantastic some are well translated some aren't be discriminating but this is the view meditation and action this is jeff's notes this is the buddhism 2.0 of zogchen of direct access non-dual teaching View, meditation, and action, which is the ground, path, and fruit of the great perfection. The glimpse, the maturation, and the application of the actualization in life. This is the key that can help you understand all of those. And in fact, there's one or two new books out worth reading. Fearless Roar by Lama David Christensen, with collecting the teachings we had in the 1980s from the Osho Kempo Rinpoche in our three-year retreats in France. Fearless 
Lion's Roar from Shambhala, Fearless Lion's Roar, translated by David Christensen, Fearless Lion's Roar. And second is, I can't remember the name because Christopher and Daniela just gave it to me yesterday, by, translated by Ken McLeod of Jigme Lingpa Dzogchen Teachings called The Trackless Path. No, I mean path. <laughs> the trackless path, man, is good. Let's have some coffee and talk about it. In Long Island, perhaps. Or wherever. Not New Jersey. There's no way in New Jersey. You can know God there. But in Jan- you know, other, most other places. I just had to say that for my New Jersey co- co- cohorts over here. So this is the view, meditation, and action, the ground path, the fruit of the great perfection. The keys to help you understand all those great uh, writings and teachings. Questions, please. To Ben, guy in orange shirt. Ben grabbed the mic. We get a, he's young. We have patience. We're tolerant. We're very tolerant. I'm, I'm still a young guy. We try to be. I'm, nice to see you. Do, <laughs> you again. do you want to guess how old I am now? Or should we just... <laughs> A 28. <laughs> 31. Uh, <laughs> I, I went up from what I was thinking, which was 26. Go on. Because yeah. it used to be 18. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about um, the, the fourth um, great flop, because since, since you kind of, and, and especially because... Like the sky, like the mountain, like the ocean waves. And what is the fourth one? Did I say like a mirror? It, it says like result Rigpa. Rigpa. Rig- Rigpa. Rigpa, right. That's and, the fourth so, one, Rigpa. And, and, and the, uh, when I was authentic in, presence or yes, awareness with a capital A plus. Yes. And I just had it there. You probably said it all right there. But when I was in Paris, I, I did a teaching with um, Solanus Skywing Drippa. And he was talking about, you know, he, he was leading a little meditation, I think. And he was sort of talking about um, just relaxing and sort of being with the um, being present and and so I asked him a question in front of everyone, and I said, you know, so are you talking about Rigpa? And he kind of got a little, I think he got a little annoyed. Like, why are you going to, like, don't make a big soup into all, this, all these terms. Like, don't bring Rigpa into this. And, well, maybe because you brought in a foreign word that he, nobody was understanding. Yeah. And like, you're showing off even, that you knew it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, like, I don't so even know. So he must have been very upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At you. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So. Maybe that's the, I don't know. Is it the answer or he was just upset and he kicked you out as yeah, lamas yeah, do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what happened. <laughs> Especially great lamas. Like the <laughs> all right, so it's, it's, it's all good then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, uh, how would you... It's good. I don't know if it's good, but it has to be good enough in the great perfection. It has to be good enough <laughs> to quote a great lama. It has to be good enough. <laughs> Thank you, lama. I hope you didn't tell me you were a student of mine and get me in trouble. <laughs> With His Holiness the 12th Gyalwang Drukpa, I mean, I don't want to be in his doghouse. <laughs> Thank you. Questions, last questions. Our time is up. Anybody we haven't heard from? Anybody? Yes, ma'am? Hi, Lama. Hi. Um, it, it kind of seems funny to bring this up after this session that we just had, which was really big. Um, but I've been thinking really uh, about the last few days and about judgment and um, being here, everything is so calm and um, it's quiet and it feels very secure. It feels 
really good to be here with with everyone. Um, but it, I noticed that um, it feels like there's weight of years of judgment. Um, and not like crippling, but just sort of noticing it, having the space to notice that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I read your most recent book and... Um, I really liked when you talked about your friend who medit- or thinks on the subway, she pictures people as babies. And I feel like that's a, I've done that and, and enjoy doing that and, you know, do some loving kindness meditations. But when it comes to sky gazing, when judgment inevitably comes in, whether it's for myself or about someone else, um, I get kind of stuck, I feel like, between... Um, wanting to push it away or just go back to my breath to retreat from that, which I feel like is kind of suppressing it, um, or to sit with it, but then I feel like maybe I'm going to get caught in a discourse about it. So, Well, going back to your breath is fine, but that might be a little bit suppressing or avoiding the, the cause, like picking off the dandelion head but leaving the claw-like you know, roots in there. It's just going to keep coming up. Right. But... Um, I think this is probably really about self-judgment. I mean, but you have to, you know, only you know you're talking about you. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, you know, thinking. Yeah, I mean, even if, it, if it's judgment of somebody else, then it turns into judgment on yeah, myself. right. So who's judging you? Well, like, what, what voices do you hear? You know, the harsh coach or parent or, you know, elder sibling or what? The modeling agency that you're never, whatever, <laughs> airbrushed enough. You know, what? Serious. What? I don't, I don't know. I feel like. self judge Well, tune into that. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the other. Because as Lao Tzu says in the Tao Te Ching, the master accepts herself, so the whole world accepts her. Hmm. See, this isn't even about, I mean, those people in Subway, first of all, they don't care if you judge them or not. They don't know you're not talking to them. Spiritual life is about freedom and all this within. And then your relations will all be different. But this is where, you know, we have the steering wheel on the handle of our car in the bumper car's place. We've got to figure out, you know, how to turn it, even though we seem out of control. It's not really bumper cars. We're just on a road, and if we, you know, we can learn how to drive, not with our hands on the rearview mirror, which doesn't steer the car, but some people seem to go through life like that. Can't understand what's happening to me all the time. Rearview mirror, not connected to wheels and road and reality. So you can look into your self-judging and maybe practice your own self-acceptance, radical acceptance, as the brilliant female teacher Tara Brock teaches. Read her book if you like my book. Hers are probably even better, Radical Acceptance. And maybe you can practice loving kindness and compassion on yourself. I mentioned that a few times. I do that. Benevolence, wishing yourself well, patience, mm-hmm. acceptance, self-compassion, cutting yourself some slack, formally loving kindness, and, and see what resistance there are to that about whatever it is that you might have conditioning, nature and nurture. We call it karma, nature and nurture, conditioning. Whatever's afflicting you, which only you know, and we don't have to talk about it. Although what, what happens here at Garrison stays in Garrison, but, you know, in your own inner laboratory and practice and the crucible of your spiritual heart and mind and body and soul, that's where the work has to occur, I believe, about this self-loathing or low self-esteem or inadequacy or whatever that's not your fault it's nature and nurture but 
it's conditioned, but we can work on it. We can recondition it with different thoughts and feelings and intentions, like loving kindness, affirmations, and compassion, thoughts, self-compassion, and then uh, recondition and then decondition. Get out of the deep ruts that we're in, and the new ruts won't be so deep, so we can keep making new ruts and decondition. Finally, there's no rut. You can get there from here. There's no rut for the water always has to go fresh. So keep working on it. I hope that's helpful. <laughs> I suggested a few things. Thank Loving you. kindness, self-compassion, inquire into who or what voice, the harsh voice you hear, whatever message you're getting. And you can inquire, is that real? Is it true? Whatever you heard, I'm never good enough. I'm never, you know, whatever. Thin enough, pretty enough, you know, whatever stuff gets, you know, shit falls on you. you try to turn into manure and fertilizer, not just drown in it. Thank you. Thank you all.